An extensive piece written on uh, Matt Ishbia and his early tenure of the Phoenix Suns and the goals for the organization published this morning on ESPN.com. Written by ESPN senior writer Brian Windhorst, who is kind enough to join us here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Brian, thanks so much for the time. How are you? Good morning. Uh, my my partner today is Kellen Olson, and he, he, he summed it up beautifully earlier in the show. He said, it seems like Matt Ishby has done about six years worth of ownership work <laughs> in six months. Um, I mean, just being getting an inside look at it, can you remember an owner being as involved this quickly uh, as Matt Ishbia has been? So when did the Suns, they started in 1968, is yep. that right? Uh-huh. One of the biggest transactions in Suns history, history before the last six months, Char- Charles Barkley trade, Steve Nash acquisition. What else am I missing from the 70s and 80s? You know? Those are the big ones. Um, but yeah. He, yeah, and so within the last six months, they traded, they traded for Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal. Um, in the top five, right? Like, I don't know if they're, if they're both in the top three. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. But, like, the team has been around for 50-some years, years, and two of the biggest moves in 50 years happened within five months of Matt Ishbia buying the team. Mm-hmm. And he's driving force in. It's not as simple as making that statement because – the team was primed to make additions. They had put themselves in position with good draft picks, with with success, with they had a bunch of assets. You know, they had their draft picks going forward. It wasn't just in a vacuum that he came in, but he came in and has just thrown gasoline on it. And there's something to be said for that. It could end up being a failure, but it could end up being a giant success. And, you know, the first night I met Matt was actually when I came to town for the alleged first uh, red game where he sprained his ankle <laughs> in the pregame. And I was talking to Matt that night. We only got to talk for about five or eight minutes, but that was the night I met him. And I was saying, I was like, well, you know, it's really amazing that you may have made what could end up being your most impactful move as owner on your first day, I mean, you know, you could go 20 years and get from now and not have an opportunity to do something like that. I go, that's kind of wild. And he, and he made kind of funny. And he's like, no, we're going to keep doing big deals. Like he completely rejected that perspective. And a few months later, I mean, it's not quite as big to get Bradley Beal, but it's a big trade. Mm-hmm. So um, that's who he is. And, and I think that, he has a good front office that's working with him, but he is absolutely in the driver's seat. It's his money that's fueling it, and it's his foot that's on the gas pedal. Brian, one of my big takeaways from the article was just how unified of a front that this appears to be. You, you uh, pointed out specifically that on the record that you've heard not many changes below someone like Bartlesign and just having the quotes from James Jones and how he is able to still function within his job when many in the league had doubts there. Can you just take us a bit more in depth with your conversations and, and reporting there in terms of how unified this all seems to be at the moment? Yeah, so you know how it is, Kellen, you – when you do a story like this, you know, I'm not sitting in the meetings with the front office. Yeah. So I don't, I can't ever be 100% sure what's going on. Right. So you do your best as a reporter to tell the story accurately. Um, And I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't have done this story if I hadn't already been hearing that 
Josh Bartlestein and James Jones and his group were working well with Matt. And this is incredibly unusual. Um, when you see ownership changes, you almost always see basketball operations changes. Um, there are certain situations where it doesn't happen, but I'm telling you, you go back and look at it, it tends to go hand in hand. So you have an ownership change. Okay, that's one. And then the owner brings in a new CEO, and that new CEO has a basketball background. He hired him from another team's front office. If he had hired a CEO who was running the business operations of the Edmonton Oilers, nobody would have batted an eye. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, Matt hires a guy whose last name was Bartlestein, one of the names at the center of power broking in the NBA for the last 30 years, and a guy who was in the Detroit Pistons front office, Josh Bartlestein. And I'm telling you, the whole league is like, well, James Jones won't be there much longer. Uh And in fact, James is fully engaged, fully with it. And to be honest, when I talked to James and it's in this story, he said he was, he thought the most important thing for the Suns was to not be in the in limbo that they were with, with Sarver for so long, that they had a direction and that direction was being set by the owner. And, you know, it may not be the direction that the team was going in. It may not be the direction that follows the quote unquote blueprint, but they had a direction and he was hedging for so long living in this sort of gray area where he wasn't sure what was going to happen with the team. You know, they were hamstrung in contract negotiations. They were hamstrung in trade negotiations. Like there were trades that came across the desk that could have helped the Suns last year that didn't get done because of the Sarver thing, Mm -hmm. you know, they probably weren't able to do the Cameron Johnson extension because of the Sarver thing. And so I think he just likes that there's a mandate, that there's a vision. And again, maybe the vision drives you into the ditch, but at least Matt has a vision and is executing the vision and putting them in the position where he wants them. And so I don't know what's going to happen, but I can kind of respect it. And I get the impression. I hope I'm getting the correct impression that James supports that strength of vision as well. ESPN's Brian Windhorst, our guest here on uh, Arizona Sports. You, you brought up changes, or, or at least what we thought were going to be changes in basketball operations. And at one time, Isaiah Thomas's name was very uh, prominently mentioned early on and then quickly refuted. And I know you touched on it in this story and the reference to Chris Paul making the uh, Isaiah Thomas reference on his way out of town. There's been some <laughs> speculation. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Brian, on... Do you think that was, you know, we know Chris Paul is, is, is an ultimate game player. Do you think that was just maybe a shot across the bow and, and maybe some sour grapes on the way that he was handled on his way out? Well, I can't 100% promise you I know exactly what Chris was doing because I'd never try to get in his mind. Um, but, boy, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. it looks like on his way out the door, he, you know, let a juicy one, you know, and um, he knew, I suspect he knew exactly what he was doing because while Isaiah definitely has a relationship with Matt and I think definitely has offered advice, um, guidance, or if there's a stronger word, um, maybe you can, we can debate over the verbiage. Um, He didn't, 
execute the Chris Paul trade. He didn't execute the Bradley Beal um, negotiation. You know, they, 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 they didn't just have to negotiate the trade, but they had to, you know, make a pitch to Brad because Brad was, it was essentially a free agency because of the no trade clause. You know, he didn't do the, you know, I'm, you know, maybe he advised and said, Hey, I really like, uh, you know, uh, Utah Watanabe. I don't, you know, but that was James Jones and Matt Ishbia and Ryan Resch and Josh Bartles and Josh Bartles team, you know, figuring out how to sign those guys. So mm-hmm. I think Isaiah has definitely been around. I think Isaiah likes that he is seen around. Uh, I think he will continue giving advice. And I think maybe some of it is useful. Maybe some of it is not. He'll continue sitting and talking to Matt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the big moves that have happened with this team, including trading Chris Paul, uh, I think those were made by the guys who have the actual titles. So if I thought differently after talking to everybody, I would have said so. Yeah. I don't think differently, but I do think Isaiah is around. He's not just, I saw the quote that Matt said to Dwayne Rankin um, in the Arizona public, Arizona Republic that came out yesterday Uh where he said, you know, that he talks to a lot of people like Tom Izzo and Charlie Bell and Morris Peterson. I'm sure that that's true, but you know, Isaiah is on a bit of a different level, but he's got really good people uh, operating in his front office and they're doing a good job. And so I don't, my feeling is that Isaiah is around, but he's not, he doesn't have his hand on the driving on the steering wheel like some people may want to speculate. Brian, with this flurry of signings that the Suns had the first weekend on the veterans minimum, you were well aware of the restrictions and limitations in place for them right now in terms of making their roster not only better, but deeper as well. With your conversations around the league and opposing front offices, how was the view league wide in terms of how well the Suns did to get deeper and, and add more depth right there? Well, I think the general concept was like you have no chance to to build out a team with minimum contracts. And just look at the Lakers, who I think uh, last year, I guess I would say two years ago now, had 10 minimums. After they made the Russell Westbrook trade, they filled out the roster with 10 minimums and ended up not being a playoff team. And so there's a sort of a conventional wisdom that you can't fill your roster out with minimums. Um, And so there was a lot of skepticism that the Suns would be able to do that. Um, but what you can see is number one, they got a couple of players who are not really minimum players. Yeah. Uh, Eric Ward is not a minimum player. Um, I don't really think Utah Wananabe, I mean, maybe I don't have the greatest feel for the market, but I got to believe Utah Wananabe could have done a little bit better. I even think Katie Bates job could have done a little bit better. Um, those are guys who, when you look at their output, they're not really a classic minimum player. Um, so part of it was they were able to get guys a little higher class than that. Um, the other thing is there was definitely a strategy. That's what I like about it more than anything. Uh, look, you signed six minimums or seven, however many they signed, there's a good chance that, you know, half or so are probably not going to work out. Maybe they all work out, but, you know, these guys in some cases are minimums for a reason. But uh, you could see that there was a vision, that they had they had a strategy they looked at all the players. They said, these guys can help us if we play a certain way. And they got long-armed guys who were competent three-point shooters who were athletes. And, uh, you know, Eric Gordon is a, a little bit different class, but he's, a, you know, a grade-A scorer in the NBA. Yeah. So uh, I think they did great with what they had. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to work. Uh, when you bring in so many new players, it's very hard to make it all meld. 
but it can be done. And but you can tell that Frank Vogel was sitting at the same table as James Jones and Josh Bartlestein and Matt Ishbia, and you could tell that they were all working together. There was a vision in the way that that was that that was done, and um, I I thought that they did pretty well, all things considered. Brian, really enjoyed the article, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Really appreciate it. 